going to look at two subjects this morning, uh, my view of work, vocation, and career, and uh, my view of finances. You want to close in prayer right now? <laughs> Since we were uh, mentioning uh, the uh, distribution of three pennies, uh, uh, there was an airplane that was in trouble, and it was certain they weren't not going, they were not going to make it. And uh, there happened to be a clergyman sitting there. And a flight attendant came up and said, Sir, uh, we're in danger of crashing. Would you come and do something religious? And he went to the front and stood there and said, Would the flight attendants please come forward to take a collection? Uh, these uh, two subjects, uh, work, vocation, and career, and uh, finances go together. And I thought as we are coming toward the end, how am I going to touch all of these things? And uh, I have an answer for that I won't give you now, but there will be direction to this. I was at a a camp on the East Coast one time, it was a men's retreat. I was a speaker, but they had uh, some uh, gathering at some ungodly hour in the morning, like 6.30 for, for devotions for the whole group, which is a totally ridiculous thing to do, you know. But nonetheless, that's what it was. And he was going to give a, uh, uh, a session on work. And his first statement was, work is a curse. Yeah. And I said to myself, wrong. Do you ever do that in a, a gathering? You sit there and say, that's wrong. Uh, I'm glad people don't say it out loud generally or it'd be echoing round about us, but that's wrong. And, and everything he had to say consequently built on that faulty foundation was wrong. Work is a wonderful thing, right? Let's all say that. Work is a wonderful thing. It is. You also know what this stands for, TGIF. What's that mean? Yeah, and, and that's, that's wrong. I always say, thank God for Monday. I, I really say Sunday, but Monday. Go back to school and teach. It's a wonderful thing, right? Whatever it is. If it is uh, acceptable work, and we'll speak to that directly. Now, we have to make that distinction between work and uh, the difficulties connected. When uh, God created, and it's recorded in Genesis 1, he said, before the fall, everything I have made is under your hands. Now, go and subdue it. Go bring it into specific order. And everything I've made is under your control. Man is king of the earth. That's how he was designated right at the beginning. In Hebrews we will read, we see not all things subject to man. And in that same chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, 
we uh, have a quotation from Psalm 8, and I invite your attention just briefly to that psalm. It's a magnificent psalm. And it's David writing a poem about creation. That's what it's about. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. This is the part that's quoted in Hebrews. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him... Little less than God. Little lower than the angels we have. Little less than Elohim. Little less than God. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the thing. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. He has put all things under the hand of Adam, man. We see not all things subject to man because of sin, but we see Jesus, who, Steve, in the millennium, will have all things under his hand. That man, Christ Jesus, this will be accomplished. All things will be under the hand of a man, the man Christ Jesus. But that's talking about our domain. Bring it into submission. Subdue it. Along with the work of doing that, over all things. There is toil. Toil comes after the fall. It's the foot. Now, what you do when that happens? This has happened to me. It happened yesterday. The thing goes off, you know. It's all right now. It's happened to me at both a wedding and a funeral. I learned. What you do is look around. And while you're doing that, you just reach in and hit the button, you know. You have to do that. It could be disastrous sometimes. That was very nice. That could be disastrous. Toil goes along with it. We all have toil associated with subduing whatever is our particular work object. Would you believe teachers of the Bible... Uh, in a professional way like Dave and I do, we have toil associated with it. I call it the professional days that we have a couple times a year. I also call that Protestant purgatory. (laughs) If you're a teacher, you know what I mean. One year we made paper hats. Dave McLeod and I sitting there making paper hats when we're in our 50s and 60s. It was a, a, a trial of uh, controlling your temper. 
Why am I sitting here making paper hats? It's teamwork. I don't wear paper hats. Nobody does. We don't need a team for that. Excuse me. I could get going on this. This is when Melza used to go. <laughs> need some coaching. Work is a noble thing. The first man, page eight this is, was commanded to bring into submission all that God has made, everything. That's even why people line up to go to Mars. How many of you would like to do that? How many of you would like to see me do that right now? Yeah. <laughs> That's another story. Uh, but the young people are lining up for that. They, they would find that exciting. It probably would be. Everything is to be brought into submission. My father used to say, listen to this, the stars he made also. That's the Genesis account. Isn't that something? Here's the other, his finger. There they are. We are to bring all these things into submission. Work is the means by which a per person fulfills his financial responsibility. We'll look at that a bit later. And provide for the spiritual ministries where uh, they touch finances. Work is noble. Martin Luther, chatting with, about Martin Luther, Martin Luther, he did a lot of great stuff. Some some things he didn't quite get to in his life. We understand that. But uh, the great rediscovery of justification by faith alone, salvation through faith alone. He rediscovered the concept of the priesthood of all believers. He also reestablished the con concept of uh, no distinction between forms of work, no secular and spiritual dimension of work. That's a huge concept. One of the things I... How can I put this? I, 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 I get uneasy. That's a good word. Uneasy about in my own life as people look at me as a full-time Christian worker or a person who lives by faith. And that's indicated sometimes when I will visit people and they'll ask me to pray for the food like I can call down a bigger blessing from God than somebody else. And that's not one bit true. We are all the same. All work that is noble serves the Lord. We need to understand that. So do you understand that great distinction? We all, how many live by faith? The just live by faith. That's all of us as believers. I am no more a priest than you're a priest. We are accepted as the priesthood of all believers, appointed to that, every one of us, equally so. There is that great commonality, and Luther made the great rediscovery of the nobility of work. It was not I go to a monastery and pray and the peasants feed people. 
the peasant takes care of God's green earth. The peasant cuts God's grass. The uh, attendant at the gas, oh, they don't have attendants at gas stations anymore, unless you're in New Jersey. Uh, you pump your own brother. Uh, I pump God's gas. I take care of God's cattle. It's all his, and he's put it under our hands. And when we care for things properly, according to how he would have us do that joyfully, that's noble work. That's a magnificent concept. Thank you, sir. A work of serving God, right? A hand. It's all true. It's all true. And uh, that is a great concept in the whole of the process. And that's the primary thought I want to leave with you concerning this uh, whole concept of work. Work is the means by which the necessities of life are provided. It is not an end in itself. It is not the focus of life. Have any of you ever been asked this question? When you meet a, a stranger that will chat for a bit and ask, what do you do for a living? You know, That's not who I am. That's what I do. There's a difference. And we need to understand that. Who I am is altogether different from what I do. Luther made this great statement about work as well, and it's a good one. The best job you can have you can get is the one you have. The best job for you is the one you have. Does that make sense? An imagined job that you don't have is not as good as the job you do have. And that ordinary job can be turned into the glory of God. On one occasion, soon after graduating from uh, Dallas, a lady and I were talking and she said, uh, I was on the way to start teaching a mass. She said, are you ready to, to teach in a mass? You haven't ever done any work. I mean, she meant secular work. I said, well, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a deep person. Have you gathered that yet? A lion type? Ask me if I've ever been wrong. I'll give you an answer. <laughs> Some of us have struggled that way. Well, when you can turn a line loose, that's a bad thing to do. And I, I didn't like that. So let, let's start with this. My father was a banker, and he had a lot of connections with different businesses, consequently. So from early on in life, I got summer jobs that were really mean, but good. They were good for me. I learned a lot of stuff. Uh, had a lot of jobs along the way. Great jobs. I enjoyed them all. And we can. I was uh, a lady's shoe salesman while I was going to a mass. I learned a lot out of that. One, only bring two shoes out the first time and take them both back because you've got a long way to go. <laughs> You learn things, and that was good for me. Uh, 
when I went to college, I, uh, at Philadelphia College of Bible, it's a long story as to how I got there, I won't go into. It was a great experience. Charles Ryer was the president then. My wife was a secretary for him for a period of time. And uh, I worked on the maintenance crew. And I could work as many hours as I wanted. And I told the lady that I worked 40 hours a week. We had twin girls in Philadelphia and uh, had to work. And I worked 40 hours a week and went to school and did a lot of other things. I said, that was a good start. And one of the things I did, this was really fun, really fun. Uh, PCB was at that time in an eight-story building. And there was a fire escape on the outside. You know how they work. And uh, it had gotten rusty. So one of my jobs was to get a really commercial level, professional uh, drill with a, a steel brush and get all the rust off of an eight-story fire escape. Does that sound like fun to you? It, it, it was fun. It was really fun. I enjoyed it so much, except the time when the thing arced and got frozen into the fire escape some way or another. That was exciting. Eight stories. And, and I'm on the outside perched, going up and down eight stories. I never liked height. I had trouble in high school. You know, it's just the way. <laughs> it, it was tough. But you say, okay, a, a floor at a time. You go out one floor, clean it all up, go up. And then we had to come back and paint the whole thing with Rust-Oleum or something of that sort. That was a great job. Learned a lot of things. And the lady is looking, oh, yeah, that is. A, I said, that, that was just part of maintenance. The other thing, I collected garbage for the whole school. And that was fun. I really enjoyed it. Because you come down with these big containers, and there's this huge incinerator. Okay, you with me on that? And this was the day of the spray bottle hair stuff, you know. Oh, it was so much fun. You throw one of those suckers in there and the whole building would shake. <laughs> What's that for? Boom. Uh, so, you know, it's good. It's good to do. Seminary days, there were about 10 of us from seminary that were janitors. We took care of the offices and all the bathrooms. I remember when I first came, I ended up being in charge of it for four years. It was a wonderful night shift job. You could go to school from 8 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon, which I did, and then from 4.30 to 12.30 at work. Have I gotten enough work in, lady? You know, and I enjoyed that, too. There were all these other seminarians working. Dr. Fish worked with me was the most educated janitor's crew in all of God's creation. Most of them working on their doctorates. First time I ever ran a buffer. Any of you ever run a buffer? I mean, a really big buffer like this? Guy says, you know how to do this? I said, it can't be too complicated. I almost took the wall down because it throws it like that. And I learned a lot about that. I learned a very important lesson. This is a law for janitors. If you want to keep the secretaries happy, have clean bathrooms. Right, ladies? And that's the truth. You got that one done, you're in business. You learn a lot. 
came to the Mass and in a few years was dean. Uh, we brought on a new faculty member, asked him to come, and he came, and he came in my office and, and said, Dave, mustn't be the will of God that I'd be here because I'm not making it financially. You know what, I, I'm, a, I'm a really sensitive counselor. And I said, have you ever considered moonlighting? The Apostle Paul did that. Go make some tents. Well, he did, didn't make tents, but the equivalent thereof. And uh, eventually got into our non-system system of finances. Okay. Is that enough? All of that work, all those experiences were part of God's activity in my life. Out of which I have a saying, never trust a preacher with soft hands. <laughs> they don't know what life's about, okay? And there's truth to that. Dr. Smith always warned us at school, don't become institutionalized. There's more to life than just teaching at the school. And there is. There's family, there's neighborhood, there's friends, all sorts of other activities. Don't cut yourself off from the whole world, right? You learn some things from doing it. Work is a noble thing. All of those things, being a janitor, burning trash, painting a fire, grinding and painting a fire escape, if you do it the right way, you're serving God in the doing of it. That's why we rejoice in it. That's why we do the very best we can in any job that we do. And Paul says that to servants. Be a good servant, for in so doing you serve the Lord Christ. That's a huge concept. Work is noble. We are doing what God wants us to do in a given moment the way he wants to do it without complaining, with all of our heart, joyfully, recognizing there's toil. One of the things I really enjoyed doing, and I have been banished from it, Katie and John won't let me get on the tractor anymore to cut the lawn. It's the most relaxing thing in the world for me. It's what, well... Two or three. It's a wonderful thing. I had a custom whenever I was done to turn the blade off and just ride around. Do any of you do things like this? What was I doing? I was rejoicing in having finished a task. Finishing something to do and that can be anything that is a work that is noble before God as to a, a product produced or a service given. When we have finished that, it's nice to drive around and see that. There is enormous fulfillment. Now, don't do that when you paint a house and take a step back. That's not a good thing to do at that point. Okay, but you understand what I'm saying? It's what you ladies might do if you put a feast out and you stand there before the company comes. Do any of you do that? And there it all is. There's a concept of fulfillment, reward 
in work doing something noble, realizing we're doing that for the Lord Jesus and ministering things he has entrusted to us. It gives a whole different outlook on life if we come at work the way God intended it, recognizing there are toils involved in all of that. One of the side benefits of, of work is it's uh, a primary place that we can carry out personal evangelism. That's uh, one of the struggles I would have in a school bubble. So I have to be aware of that somewhat more keenly. We'll talk about that a bit later in another section about reaching the people that we touch. Work is one of those areas in which that can happen. My father was an obnoxious evangelist. He embarrassed me so many times. I'd take him to the doctors in his old age and we're sitting there with 10 people in the waiting room. He said, Dave, I wonder how many of these people are going to heaven or hell. Uh, I hid behind the Reader's Digest, okay? <laughs> but uh, that's the way it was. Uh, you get contacts. And we need to be conscious of that. And that's through our involvement in work many times. That's a primary area of responsibility. At the bottom of this page, I have that great verse from Colossians. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Think of this, he's writing to slaves. Not with eye service as man pleasers, men pleasers. You ever work like that? Here comes the boss, get to work. Yeah, That's not us. But in sincerity of heart, fearing God, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. And here's the work part, for you serve the Lord Christ. These servants, in being good servants, serving their earthly master, were in reality serving the Lord Christ. And whatever we are, whether we are uh, working in a bank, let, let's just have uh, that question. What do you do? What do some of you do? Let's get five. What do you do for a living? Let's see your, speak it out. Yes. You're a doctor. Author. You're what? You serve the Lord Christ. And you do. Christians don't retire. Right? We run till we're, I shouldn't say this the way I have. Run till you're dead. Come up for a minute, would you? The pharmacist, yeah. I will take away this memory from camp. This is one of the greatest things. Could, could you tell about our conversation, Dan? This was great. Am I embarrassing you? A little bit. That's okay. <laughs> um, so we were down at the picnic, down at the beach, and... I noticed my friend here had a Diet Coke. Oh. 
we were going, or we were at the picnic um, down at the beach, and my friend here had a Diet Coke, which is my favorite, and so I talked about how we, she must have smuggled the Coke product in, since you can only get Pepsi here up at the point, and we were talking about other foods that are, might not be that great for us, and, but it, what was it you said, you liked the hamburgers, or Yeah, they something? were very nice, <laughs> and, yeah. and I mentioned, I said, <laughs> This, don't is, this, is, this is great. Go ahead. I said, don't worry about it. Eat it. That's what your liver is for. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, that's what I'm dying from. <laughs> yes, I, I had missed that, that yeah, part. I understand that. <laughs> well, isn't that beautiful? I, oh, yes. I, I'm I, glad I can so make great. you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for doing that. I'll take that home with me. I'll probably refer to that until my dying days. <laughs> but you know, there's a spiritual lesson there. Not many people would laugh at that. We can. It, it, we really can. And I have to point it out, it wasn't my Coke, it was Dave's Coke <laughs> that he gave to me as a servant of God. Doing, you know, it all fits together. The Holy Spirit does things like that, even in our conversations. I love that. Yeah. We serve the Lord Christ in all of our work, whatever. I, I, we're getting some different uh, uh, contributions. That's from a pharmacist, right? Okay. A couple more. What do you do? We've had a doctor, a pharmacist. Pardon? Teach? Do you have professional days? Aren't they terrible? That really helped your ability to teach, didn't it? <laughs> I'll pose. <laughs> I saw a hand over here. A detail man. In personality, you would be a, uh, a beaver. Taking care of the details. Go ahead. Bless you, my brother. Uh, I, I love to watch conductors. From a Eugene Normandy in the day who just did this to Leonard Bernstein who really used his stick. Think of that. You get right where God is, don't you? He made it all. And you know more about that than probably anybody in the room. Wonderful thing. It's all serving God. It's his things I'm learning about through my work. Turn uh, to... Uh, Page 17, I think it is. 17. Steve has been telling us about the nation of Israel and their disobedience. Upon obedience, they would have been blessed. At Ebal and Gerathim, they make the promise to God, all that you have said we will do. And they called out the blessings and the cursings. And the blessings would be material prosperity. 
if there was obedience. That's why in some of the general epistles writing to a largely Jewish audience, the writers will, will talk about a heavenly inheritance. We had to convince the folk from a, a earthly inheritance to one that is above. We function according to a different set of financial principles altogether. Not altogether, there are similarities, but with a different end in view. Obedience in that day brought you prosperity in the land. Obedience in our day, Jesus will say, will bring you persecution. There's a huge difference. Now, we'll enter into that kingdom along with the Jews, and we'll hear about that tonight, the kingdom. Looking forward to that. I'll be glad to get out. Tribulation scared me to death. That's an ugly scene, isn't it? But there's the other side. During the present era of the church, I function under a different set of financial principles. I'm a citizen of heaven, an ambassador for Christ in a foreign land, a pilgrim and a stranger. I am instructed to lay up treasure in heaven, not on earth. In this paragraph, and I want to make reference to this particularly, God may well bless us in different ways. Some people uh, that are Christians suffer great persecution. Others do not. Some are very poor. Others are not. We preachers have a tendency to condemn the rich. Paul doesn't do that. That's important. And uh, he will tell us that. He says, uh, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. He should be willing to distribute, ready to share, not trusting in uncertain riches nor being haughty. Now that's a huge difference. I squirm frequently when people who are preachers stick the knife into me about finance. Making anybody that has more than two shekels in his pocket feel guilty about it. That is not a biblical stance. And Paul doesn't do that. He says, if God has blessed you at the end of Timothy, God's blessed you. Don't trust those things. Don't, don't think you're better than other people. Be uh, ready to distribute, willing to share. And God has given us all, all things richly to enjoy. Do you all hear that message? There's a lot of guilt I can bear in the Bible that is genuine and right, and I better well bear that and straighten out my life. I will not allow, as best I understand the teaching of Scripture, someone to make me guilty for which things I should not be held guilty, and that's one of them. And that's an important concept to get hold of. Periodically, I, I will say what I said at the beginning. 
No, that's not right. And I can predict it at school. I, I, I teach this to the kids, and I say, listen, when you hear somebody at chapel, and this happens, let's all together say, no, that's not true. That would be a fun chapel, wouldn't it? Well, we don't do that, obviously. But we must filter out those things that are not in accord with Scripture. And if a preacher like myself is wasting all your time, wasting my time, I'll go to portions of Scripture that will give me some benefit while he's talking. Okay? At graduation time, I used to sit on the stage. I don't anymore. And there were these big stained glass windows. And where I sat, uh, right behind the, the speaker's head up on the wall there, is one of the stained glass windows. It has 27 blocks of stained glass in it. And I'm counting them sometimes because it looks like I'm looking right at the person <laughs> paying really good attention and my mind is off on something else because his mind is not on the scripture. Okay? You ever do anything like that, David? Are you doing it right now? <laughs> yeah. So, that's a big lesson I want to leave with you. If people like myself come up and stick a knife in where it doesn't belong, don't pay any attention to it. Hear me? He has given us richly all things to enjoy. And we are particularly in a setting like that in our country. We're all rich. Willing to distribute ready to share, not trusting in our uncertain riches. One of the biggest tensions of life would be to have the gift of giving and nothing to give. And that's where we find ourselves. We can give. I'd just like to read through these concepts behind which we can put a verse of scripture, each one of them. I am to provide for financial obligations, secular and government. We've talked about that already under government. First Timothy 5, I'm to provide for family. And the family, children and, uh, okay, children and elderly parents. <laughs> and we do that. I am to give financial needs of to hurting saints, local and worldwide. I am to give to those who minister and proclaim the gospel. Paul says that himself. He says, is there only Barnabas and I that have to go out and make tents? The labor is worthy of his hire. And we, we take care of that. I am to give the support of those who spread the gospel. Paul will say of the Philippian church, you're the only church that's ministered to me more than once. And, and that was to take the gospel further out into the world. It was one thing to the, for the Corinthians to give to Paul because he put his life into them. It's another thing for them to give to Paul so he can put his life into somebody else. And he's commending them for that. It becomes very specific. I am to give to support needy widows in the local church. And First Timothy 5, it spells them out. If there's no other source of income, not a second marriage, not two families, no support, and that lady has been faithful in the church, 
The church is to take care of her. That's the parachute. And we can do that to anyone, the benevolence group. I'm to give the support the government, the elders of the local church. Peter says that. Don't do it for you elders, don't do it for filthy lucre's sake. Any of you how many of you are elders here? Let's see your hand. How much you get paid for being an elder? Nothing. In fact, it costs to be an elder. We've missed some scripture on that one, folks. We'll say, you know they're not doing all they're supposed to. Well, I don't have enough time to, for the love of Pete. Give him a break. That's what Peter's talking about. I am to provide in Galatians to Godoma and especially the household of God. I am to provide for hospitality and generosity. In so doing, some of us have entertained angels unawares. Hebrews 13. Any of you think there was an angel that you had over for dinner? We've had a lot of demons. But <laughs> I don't know about the angels, but that's what it says, unaware. Like Abraham and Sarah, when the Lord and two angels were on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah. And to do that generously. My brother and I figured out this. We did the entertaining in our home for visiting speakers normally, and we finally figured out that we, when they were there, we really had good food, and when it wasn't, when they weren't there for a couple weeks after, it was uh, beans and applesauce and potato fritters. And we all liked that. And then we figured out we're eating this peasant food because of last week. And that's right. Be generous. That generosity is seen when Mary anoints the Lord. It was extravagant. And the apostles didn't like that. Extravagance is suitable sometimes. Isn't it? That was more than ever needed. We had youth conferences when I was a teenager and off to a mass in a couple of years. And, and we had a conference and it overwhelmed the resources that were available through the assemblies. My wife had been saving money to go to a mass and she said, well, here, uh, I'll, I'll write a check and we'll finish it. That touched me. She was committed. Came a half year later, consequently. That's okay. It's where your heart is. It shows. It shows early. Be generous. This is not found, the last one is not found in Scripture, but I think it's right. We are to be personally frugal, that is, how I conduct my own lifestyle. I'll, I'll still stand there and say, Sue, I take the first class cheese or the second class cheese. Well, it depends on what you want to do with it. Second, it's not having this worth having sometimes the second, but you make choices. Why should we pause over 20 cents? Well, we should. That's for me personally. How am I to be to other people? 
generous. Right? That's what it's about. And that's why we work. To take care of those responsibilities. That's not who we are. Who we are is this. We work so that we can do those things. We have a service to mankind or a product that's beneficial in one way or another. And we do that for the glory of God. And from the reward we get for doing that, the labor being worthy of his hire, we use that for the glory of God as well. Taking care of personal finances and all these other things in church life. We're called to that. Good stewards of the things of Christ. Let's pray that we bring about whatever adjustment we need in our lives. Father, we are thankful that you've given us all things richly to enjoy. We are thankful that you provide contentment in the necessities of life, being content with food and shelter and clothing. We pray that we learn to adapt to all the differences in between those two things. And whatever applies to us in our particular role now, we pray we may do that joyfully as good stewards of the things you have entrusted to us. Help us to have insight into your word as it impacts on how we live in the work world and in our financial responsibility. We pray in your son's name.